0: out to Medical Lake in Spokane on 88.1 and 92.3 FM. And welcome to our experiment. We are in full social distancing mode, so we can't be in the studio this week, but the show must go on. So we sent out a request to artists this week asking about the first time they went public with their art. And they responded by recording their answers anywhere they could. One guest recorded his response in his home studio Another guest used his car as a makeshift studio and recorded it on his phone. What was most important were the stories, and we got some good ones. We hope you enjoy the show. We'd like to run a similar show next week, so this is a call to artists to tell us a story about a time you overcame a challenge or a setback. Take us back to that moment. What was the challenge? What was your first reaction to it? How did you plan to attack it? Uh, What was the result? What did you learn in the process? Take your time and tell us the whole story. You can record it on your phone and email the file to arthour 509 at gmail.com. That's arthour 509 at gmail.com. Now, on to the show.
1: Hey, uh, this is Annika Eagle, founder of The Punderground. 2017's third punniest in the world, and 2018's MVP at the O. Henry Pun-Off World Championships. So when I first got into competitive punning, I had been doing improv comedy for, you know, for a little bit, starting in 2015. And, you know, sometimes there'd be, like, pun line games and, you know, like... Um, you know, puns and wordplay would come into, into some scenes or into some games. And people would tell me, Oh, have you ever thought about competitive punning? Which I hadn't ever thought about until, you know, that moment. And so I started doing some research and I found that there were two main competitions. So there was the one in New York, punderdome 3,000, um, that, you know, happened every month in Brooklyn. And then there, of course, were the O. Henry Punoff World Championships once a year in May. And so then I started watching YouTube videos and I was so excited. Like there was this group of people who were able to be so clever and use this art form that had been just kind of my, general language for a long time and um so I yeah I did some research and then in 2016 I was like you know what I I really want to do this so I ended up getting into the improvised division which is the pun slingers. so there are two at the world championships there's punniest of show where you come with two minutes prepared it can be on you know anything you want and you try and pun as much as you can um and then there's slingers, which is improvised. And so that's essentially you're going in blind. Uh, two by two, you go up there and then you're given the topic. Um, and then, you know, it's like last person standing and it, it whittles down. So I get in and I'm so excited. I start a GoFundMe because I'm really not making a lot of money working at nonprofits. Um, and I mean, like I was a multiple gig economy Uh, Person at this point, and I, you know, lots of people stepped up, and it's amazing. And I got to go, and that's when I started an Instagram, and that's when I like kind of stepped up my online presence a little bit, specifically for this punning competition. and then, you know, like I met such incredible people. There's a Friday night, you know, before the the championships on the Saturday where they honor, they have a punster of the year and they have like silly pun games and it's just this fun, weird thing that happens the night before. And I got connected with the organizer so I I ended up on my first time ever um, going, competing, and my first time in Texas, uh, I ended up helping out with registration because that's just what happens to me. <laughs> um, I mean, like, that's something I do is, is uh, get involved. And that way, it was really fantastic. I got to meet everyone that was competing. And, you know, like, plenty of people you know, probably pun. And they're often, you know, puns get a bad rap or they're called dad jokes or they're just kind of you know they're kind of looked down upon um but the beauty in the pun off world championships was it like there was just this group of like young hip like sexy people doing puns it was incredible and you had people of all ages and just like loving this craft and I can just remember I was getting goosebumps, and it was like 88 degrees. And, um, and so, yeah, I got my first, you know, I was, I don't know, I think number... 18 or something and I went up my first round was space travel and I totally had it on lock but you only have five seconds to deliver a pun and I made an Armstrong pun and I I punned with Lance and yes I know he's not an astronaut it was just like that was the Armstrong that was the closest to the tip of my tongue and it came out as a pun and everyone laughed and I mean there are hundreds you know over a thousand people here to see the world championships and it's my debut and it's such a huge faux pas and I'm so embarrassed. Like so embarrassed. Cause I am you know I pride myself on being pretty put together and like I don't know having a brain that works pretty well. <laughs> uh so that was that was mortifying. Um but I still won that round. I mean obviously not with that pun. Um that was a strike and then I fixed it and continued but um, and then that was, like, so incredible. And people were so supportive when you get off the stage. Like, all these these punners are just, like, this great, incredible community. So even though I was just, like, terrified everyone was going to laugh because these are incredibly smart people. Um, but, no, there was, like, just such a supportive community. And then my second round came about. And I'm like so nervous. And, you know, there's a live stream. So people are texting me from Washington and they're like, oh my gosh, and Oregon and, you know, like tuning in. So extra nervous. But um, the topic was gambling. And it lasted a long time. And I was going up against this writer from Wired. And, you know, like I am very proud about how long I held it. But of course, yeah, I didn't win my second round. But, it was incredible. And I just like, even not winning. And as someone who's very competitive, that's a hard thing to do. Just, I got to meet these incredible, incredible people. Um, and you know, afterwards there was this sanctioned after party. And then after that, I hooked up with, uh, the Brooklyn pun crew. And then we just like continued our like punning, like community vibing situation all over downtown Austin. Um, and it was incredible. And I stayed up until like three or four and I like could barely sleep because I was just like, I had never felt quite so at home, um, as I did then, even though I had lost, but it was like, these people got it. And like our communication was there. Like, it's like we spoke a secret language almost. Um, Yeah. And then to top it off, you know, the organizers, one of them is from Spokane originally, and we ended up going to an improv show a couple days later because I, you know, took a longer trip to Austin since I had never been. And, um, this improv show, uh, essentially it was like making fun of a work week or, like, you know, stuff that is terrible. I know this is a radio, so you can't say what it's actually called. Um, But they were asking for suggestions, like what was really terrible that happened this week. So I gave them the suggestion of, you know, me saying the wrong Armstrong in front of a world championship audience. And so then they proceeded to do a whole scene with, like, Stretch Armstrong and Louis Armstrong. And it just was... It was amazing, and it really just rounded out this incredible experience. Where it's like, yeah, you can fail, but like, you know, if you're with the people that matter, it doesn't matter. And um, so I took that back with me to Spokane, and that's what you know inspired me to start the Punderground. So, you know, a few months after that was uh, our debut, October 2016, uh, at Boots Bakery. So shout out to the punning community that keeps on giving.
2: I'm Larry Ellingson. I'm a local Spokane artist, and I've been making art since 2006. Uh, I'm going to be 72 this summer, so I'm kind of a late bloomer in this. I ran an audiovisual company in Spokane, Inland Audiovisual, Towards the end of my career, I started getting interested in making art. Jan and I had traveled to many places around the world, and I saw a lot of cool things in museums, but there was this one thing that I kept thinking I would see, and occasionally I spotted some things. There's an artist named Joseph Cornell, was at the kind of the height of his career about 100 years ago and did an art form called Assemblage, And that's the kind of work that I really enjoy. I'd also seen uh, work by a local artist, my friend, Dan McCann. I didn't know Dan then, but I really liked what I saw in his work. It was very inspirational. So what I do is I gather together objects, could be thrift store items, pieces of copper, brass. I like to find it in sheeting. I've used copper pipe all kinds of found objects. I found things in the street when I've been out riding my bicycle and bring them home. Anyway, I put together familiar objects in unfamiliar ways, and I hope that it will be interesting enough that you'll want to keep looking at it. Since I started in 2006, after a couple of years, I noticed that I had a lot of work hanging on the walls and I was starting to run out of wall space. About the same time, my friend's, Ira and Susan Amstetter, who own Express Employment Professionals downtown on Main Street, told me that they hosted First Friday events and invited me to show my work there. They have a beautiful office with raw brick interiors and room throughout the place to show all the pieces that I had at that time, which were 14 Coincidentally, I was a member of the Downtown Rotary Club 21, and several of those members knew me and had heard about this, and it was recommended that the fellowship committee hold their monthly event at Express Employment Professionals, and that I would be the subject of the fellowship event. It's a pretty big Rotary Club, and a lot of people came. It was a great opening. I mean, there's really no war story about it. It was just fabulous. Out of the 14 pieces that I was showing, I sold 11 of them. I was pretty excited. Of course, this was also at a really peak time in the U.S. economy. People had a lot of disposable income. I went home and counted my money and thought, man, this is going to be so cool. I'm going to, I could actually make money as an artist. This is great. But there were two factors that I hadn't really considered when I made that assumption. And one was that these were all friends of mine who very generously purchased my art, but probably weren't going to again, because having one Ellingson is probably enough. The other factor was that, I can't remember exactly what the day of the month was that first Friday in September, but on the 29th of September of 2008, the bottom fell out of the stock market. And there was no disposable income, nowhere, no more. I continued making art and showing art, but I've never had an experience like that where I sold so much at one time. So it gave me a false impression, but it also really encouraged me to make a lot of art. And I'm still doing that. So that's my story. Thanks for inviting me.
3: My name is Travis Twight. I am the head chef for Iron Goat Brewery and also the drummer for local rock band Indian Goat. And uh, this is for KYRS Art Hour, um, just kind of about how um, I took my cooking and my music um, to the community in Spokane and kind of put myself out in the public eye regarding those two things. <clears throat> so I would say that for cooking... Um. Well, there was a there was a food editor for the Spokesman Review. Her name's Adriana Janovich and she now works in Pullman. But um, my mom always really liked reading her articles in the Spokesman Review, and um, really encouraged me to reach out to her to get some uh, to get a write up or to get some get some you know publicity in the paper and whatever and. So my mom is really the one that kind of set that up and kind of like put the wheels in motion for for that because I got I got my first write up and after that I knew Adriana and we really got along and just kind of had this professional relationship um, around um, around food and uh, it just kind of it just kind of started with that and like since then um, I've always kind of had. Uh, Kind of a principle to where if if I'm going to be covered, if I'm going to be covered like publicly, like in a in a newspaper or on a new segment on TV, or if there's a local cooking competition, or if there's just any opportunity for me to further um, my career as a chef in Spokane or further. Further, you know, people people who know who I am or know what I do, I always say yes. And this is a great example. I mean, this is, um, you know, something that, you know, I I can, it, it's going to be played on the radio, and I know people are going to hear it. And so, when I have an opportunity to, to put myself out there and to compete or, uh, you know, be interviewed or anything like that, I never say no because I. I like to tell people what I do and I, and I'm, and I'm proud of my work and I, and I, I really care about it and I'm very passionate about it. And so I just, I just never, I just never say no to an opportunity because, because you really never know what could come of it. You really never know who's really listening or, um, you know, what, what you might've said could have struck a chord with, with somebody. And, and that's, that's really all I look for in it. And, um, and I would say since then, it's been, it's been nothing but a triumph for me in, in, in my career as a chef in Spokane. Uh, the last two years, my career has changed drastically. And it all started with one write-up in the Spokesman Review. And since then, I've been covered probably probably more than a dozen times in, in both the Inlander and, and the Spokesman Review, as well as every, every news station in Spokane I think I've been on at least once. So, um, I think that I've kind of generated that for myself. I think I, I think I've sort of, I've sort of like tried to manifest, um, being, being in the public, public eye, or, or just taking every opportunity that I, every opportunity that I can to at least be there. So and that i would say that also relates directly to my drumming and and playing with indian goat i mean we don't we don't take every show that we can but i mean at the same time we we made sure that we were ready for the public before we even played our first show i mean we had an album to sell we had stickers we had shirts we had other shows lined up uh, around spokane we we hit the ground running and so the the first exposure that we got was was super important and we were we were ready we had something to offer uh to the public that they'd be able to take home um we just we just never stopped making stuff making new music making you know new merch you know uh booking shows out of town and 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 that whole that whole backside of being in a band um is is pretty much like another job for me. And I I use the same work ethic that I do playing the drums um, that I do, you know, in the kitchen. It's a performance. You need to be practiced. You need to be sharp. You need to be ready. Um, and and I think that that has definitely spoken volumes to our successes in Spokane over the past two and a half years. Uh, we we practice a lot. We take it seriously and, and, and I'm not really like treated as a business or like a like a job or anything like that. But Garrett and I both have an have an extremely good work ethic when it comes to Indian goat and when it comes to, um, you know, doing doing what we need to do to take our to take our art and take our music to the next level. You know, if there's room for improvement here or there, we do it. And if there's if there's room for an interview here or there, we do it. And we just we just never stop with that. We never stop with that kind of work ethic. And we it's just been completely unwavering from the beginning of the project until right now, right now with me talking about it. And. I think I think that you know you could you could probably relate that to every aspect of of being an artist. Um, artists want to share their their product with the public. They want to give other people satisfaction um, based on what they do, whether they cook or whether they play music or they paint or they do poetry. Or I mean, it is it is very rarely. Just for yourself, and which I guess it could be, but but I think that I think that it's very rarely just for yourself, and 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 I I think the end goal is for it to to eventually become a public thing and become a popular public thing. So in that respect, I never stop trying to make it that. I never stop trying to do my best. I never stop trying to be the best, and. To be, I think, to be successful, you have to do that every single day that you get up. So that's that's my uh, that's my little bit about bringing my art to the public. And um, thanks for having me. You know, I love you guys, and uh, hopefully, I'll talk to you soon. Cheers.
0: You're listening to KYRS Medical Lake Spokane 88.1 and 92.3 FM. And at our Art Hour, receive support from South Perry Pizza, featuring rotating local artists and serving hand-tossed artisan pizza, beer, and wine at 1011 South Perry Street and online at southperrypizzaspokane.com.
1: We got the
4: Hang out with me, Jukebox Jenny, on Sundays from 6 to 8 p.m. to hear America's very own music, the blues. Let me help you shake the trouble out with a mix of funk, R&B, and blues from Delta to Chicago. You'll hear... God, yeah. Don't forget to shake your rump too. I'm
5: living for the
4: it's a cocktail that will soothe the soul. Working women's blues Sunday nights, six to eight p.m. right here on KYRS.
0: Art Hour relies on support from listeners like you. Just $3 a month helps keep KYRS going strong, and you can help by texting KYRS" to 44321. That's all one word, KYRS to 44321.
6: Hi, Eric Woodard. This is Sarah Wasteman. Thank you for having me on this show. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you about my first big acting gig. It's fun to look back, although it's kind of weird right now since we're in a pandemic and all of Hollywood is shut down uh, for the time being. Yeah, I hope that productions will begin again in full swing come September. I don't know. I'm literally just guessing. Like, everyone else has no idea what's happening. Ha! Uh, But anyway, I'm happy to talk to you today. Uh, I, my first, um, let's see, you asked me to tell you about my first big acting job, and a few of the jobs I've had come to mind, but I think that the job that gave me the most momentum moving forward was a Geico commercial that I did uh, three years ago. In 2017, we shot it. And uh, funny enough, it's on TV and the internet right now. If you look it up on Google, it's called Geico Dead Car Battery. And if you've seen it on TV, it's the one with the, the lady and the man, and they're in the car, the man's driving. And, uh, the lady is holding, the lady as in me, uh, she is holding a dog. I'm holding a, a little, uh, wiener dog, uh, which was a whole crazy story, um, in itself, uh, working with that dog. Um, anyway, really fun, uh, smart commercial and the directors were awesome to work with the directors names are uh there there's two guys uh I won't say their actual names but their pro- professional name together they call themselves Terry Timely and they're awesome to work with and I've worked with them several times after that um I guess that's why I could say this is why I had the most momentum It's because they kept casting me after that and stuff. That casting director that they work with. um, Because we had a great time on set together. Uh, So anyway, had a great time doing this Geico commercial. Uh, Look for it on TV now. (laughs) It's so crazy that it's playing on TV all of a sudden. Um, And exciting. Uh, (laughs) Uh, So then after that, those directors, Terry Timely, directed a tv pilot um that is called oversharing and it's starring beth dover uh beth dover is most she does a lot of comedy she's most well known for her role in orange is the new black um so anyway it was super exciting when i got to set i was like i know you I definitely know you. And she was like, um, no, you don't. <laughs> she was like, you've probably seen me on Orange is the New Black. And I was like, oh my God, I love that show. Um, it was a funny moment. But anyway, uh, it, and now we're actually, um, friends and it was, she's a really, really awesome person. And just fantastic actress. It was So fun working with her anyway. Um, yeah. So we shot that. It's called oversharing. It's really funny. Um, And then they submitted it to a ton of festivals, and it ended up getting into Tribeca Film Festival, which is huge and so exciting. And because it's so exciting, I decided I should be there. So I flew to New York City and um, saw the premiere and saw another showing of it and saw a bunch of other films uh and tv pilots at the festival and um this was the first year that tribeca film festival added a tv pilot um portion of the event uh which was so cool because before it was just just films and documentaries and now it's like welcoming tv into the game so it's tv is taken even more seriously which i love because i'm a tv girl um at least I love working in TV the most out of anything so far uh, so anyway, yeah, Tribeca Film Festival, and then uh, yeah, and then from there I just got a lot more auditions because of GEICO and because of Tribeca and things just had um, I just had the ball rolling, and um, yeah, did a bunch more commercials I did, um Toyota, uh last year and uh and it played for quite a long time uh, toyota uh, they actually hired me back to do a bunch of voiceovers for them uh that was really cool and changed my life and made me want to do a lot more voiceover work so yeah uh and then did uh, some TV shows uh, the last TV show I did was The Connors. Uh, so yeah if you want to see my credits you can look at um, IMDB look me up uh, Sarah Waisman W-A-I-S-M-A-N uh on imdb and um yeah you can see the the things that i've done i have an acting reel on there that has like the last stuff that i've done over the past you know it's five or six years here in los angeles um i also spent some time in new york city so yeah it's been a journey uh and uh i guess you could say it all really took off with geico so uh it's really exciting that it's that it's on tv again (laughs) so uh yeah that's that's the story and um gosh it's so fun to do this and i look forward to hearing the other people talk on this show thanks again eric woodard have a lovely day
7: is Matthew and I'm in the band Atari Ferrari. I've been making music since I was 16 and the first time I performed in public was at 9 Bar & Bistro when I was about 24 in 2014. And I guess I waited 8 years to perform because I have a lot of anxiety when it comes to being in front of people. Um, I have a fear of being judged for the way I look or For not being heard like how I would like to be heard. And I think Nine had just opened not long before and it was supposed to be a lesbian bar. But a bit classier than the other LGBT friendly places in town at the time. And I was there for a karaoke night with my friend Davey. And I think he sang Kesha before I went on. And he's never been the greatest singer but he does it for the love of it. And for the love of Kesha. And so I figured I owed it to him to come out of my comfort zone a bit too. So I performed Gold Dust Woman by Fleetwood Mac. And you could hear a pin drop as the song faded out and the place erupted. And the KJ came over to me and he gave me a hug and introduced himself. Um, His name is Ryan Jensen. And he still runs karaoke there. He made me sign up for another song, and I sang old Women Bleed by Alice Cooper. He eventually ended up bringing an open mic night to 9 in order to get me to start playing my own songs in front of people, and that was the following year. And if it weren't for that night, I probably wouldn't have gotten up the courage to perform in front of people, so I'm glad I went out that night. And, um, now in my band Atari, Ferrari, we often put a Stevie Nicks song in our set because the room will still erupt with applause and I just get a little reminder of that first time and a reminder to keep stepping out of my comfort zone. And, um, it may be my voice, but there have definitely been a lot of people along the way that have pulled it out of me and there still are. Um. So, I'm pretty lucky to have that. That's my story, my first time.
8: My name is Chad Brazil, and I am a mixed media artist. I do um, painting, collage, and ceramic sculpture. Uh, First time I took my art public was in 2003. I had recently started my career as a teacher at Lewis & Clark High School teaching drawing, uh, color and design, and photography. I was confident in teaching drawing and painting, but photography, that was a new endeavor for me. I had to learn quick so that I could at least appear to know what (laughs) what I was doing in front of the students. Um, as I explored this new medium I soon became fascinated with the process it was completely different from anything I had ever done and I soon began to see the versatility of photography and how to apply it to my other 2d works um, through like multimedia um, collage and even like you know planning for for paintings you know photographing and then um, drawing from those references um, I began developing a uh, I guess a, a sustained investigation of works uh, that I titled Linescapes. It was a series of collage and photography of local Spokane City scapes, um, and, you know, and like abandoned buildings. And, you know, kind of a, I did some of the um, grain silos and, and other things like that. Uh, so it was a focus on line and contrast through grayscale imagery. There were about 20 pieces in the collection, all matted, and they were all sitting behind um, frameless glass with uh, Swiss clips that kind of clipped it along, um, uh, a Masonite backing. Um, I was fortunate to know the owners of the Brooklyn Deli, and they graciously allowed me to hang my work there on First Friday, and this was a big deal for me. I had never had a public show before, and to say the least, I was pretty nervous about it. Um, We had an opening reception which was intended to draw business into the deli and hopefully help me sell some work. Uh, I was at the time working two jobs, one as a teacher and the other on the weekends as a valet at the Hotel Lusso. So to sell some work would have been helpful financially, Um, you know, given that I was working two jobs and as a new teacher I'm not making the greatest money yet. Well, I ended up selling one piece for $100, which was half of what it was to cover the cost of printing, advertising, and framing. Uh, But I really enjoyed the experience. I felt validated as an artist and enjoyed being able to discuss my process with people I'd never met before. Um, Also, several of my students came to support me as well. And what I took from the experience was an understanding of how difficult it can be to price your work at a rate that will sell while at the same time not devaluing yourself as an artist. Something that is still difficult to this day for me is to be able to, to understand how to do that. You know, what do you worth your market? How do you sell your work in this market? And um, yeah, it can be tough. I also gained experience in being vulnerable and taking a risk to the public with my work Um, from that point I would continue to teach photography for the next 10 years and became very proficient in the art form Uh, but today I mostly sculpt and paint so yeah that was my first experience and um, I remember it really well
5: you're invited to cruise Americana Avenue with me, Jim Tate, in your car or at the office, each Tuesday from 2 to 4 p.m., you'll hear the best and progressive American roots music in a multitude of styles. It's Americana Avenue on your radio station, KYRS.
9: Hi there. My name's Norman. Um, I am a m- local musician in Spokane, Washington, and I play I uh, currently play in a band called Balonely, and I've been playing shows around town for just over five years, and I'm going to tell a story of my first paid gig as a musician. Um, my first project that I was ever a part of was this solo project that I had where I would play guitar with a looper pedal. And I, I also had a bass drum that I would be furiously beating um, to some fast guitar music. And screaming was involved as well. I had just played probably my third or fourth show, somewhere along those lines. I can't remember. It's way far back. Um, this this guy reached out to me on Facebook, on Messenger, and his name was Kentaro Marai. Uh, He asked if I would like to play a show with Colleen Green and this band called Upset in Moscow, Idaho, at this venue called The Pizza Pit. And I looked into it, and I was like, "Oh my god, I I love Colleen Green. Let's do it!" And I talked to my parents, and I wasn't able to drive at the moment. I asked them if they would drive me to a rock show in Moscow, Idaho, and they said yes, and they also said I could bring two friends. So I brought my friends uh, Bennett Tully and Alex Ren. It was April nineteenth, and and the the door charge was three dollars, and we got to the venue, and we we're like, we we're driving around Moscow. It's the first time I had ever been. And we, uh, I type in the address, and then pull up to this house, and I look at the address, and then I look at it, and I kind of double check, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is it. So I guess it's a house show. <laughs> (laughs) And uh, we went in and talked to everyone, and they were like, oh, yeah, man, you can just load your stuff in the garage. So uh, I brought my bass drum in and my guitar and my pedal board, and at some point, this is a weird uh, highlight of this story, at some point when I set down my pedal board, there was some dog shit in the garage, lying around somewhere, and I just happened to set it in the right spot. And uh, I didn't discover it until later. I think I was just kind of putting my stuff away, and I I was like, "God, what does that smell?" And 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 then I zipped up my pedal board, and I was like, "Ooh, gross!" There's some. Some uh, little surprise on there. I don't know how someone left some dog shit in the garage, but we uh, got everything set up and we kind of took a break, went and got some dinner, looked around, looked at the local pawn shops, killed some time. And then when we got back to the house, all of a sudden there was tons of people. I mean, this is probably the biggest crowd that I had ever played for before um and long long thereafter I mean I there were some people that came from Spokane to see this artist play Colleen Green and uh it was it was kind of a big deal and it was at this little house I remember when the the show started it was um everyone was kind of hanging out around the house and there were so many people that were just that that were smoking weed and drinking. And I, I mean, at the time this was kind of, I mean, for me, I, I, I don't know. Smoking weed was a, was a bigger deal just cause I was still in high school and I think it was still, must've still been in the process of being legalized. So at, uh, at, at this moment, I mean, I, I, I was pretty intimidated to even just go to the house to use the, go into the house to use the bathroom. I mean, I was this little kid who didn't really go out to party very much. And it was just me and my two high school friends and my mom and dad. And uh at this house show with all these punk rockers. And I just remember when the show started, we all crammed inside the tiny garage. It it got so warm in there. There were like all these people crammed in this one garage they just closed all the doors and then in between bands they would open it and just let people walk around they would open like the door and let it air out but I just remember that I had to tune my guitar and I realized that I forgot my tuner so I was in this tiny garage with all these people just screaming talking to each other just trying to like hear each other talk And I had to tell everyone to shut up so that I could tune my guitar by ear. And uh, I don't know. I'm not the most, uh, uh, I guess, I'm I'm a relatively introverted person. But I think this was at this moment in time for me, like discovering that this was something I was very passionate about, just playing shows and, um, you know, making music and giving people this outlet to kind of escape from reality. It was this, I I felt like I, I had a, I had a superpower just being on stage. And uh, I think that this moment in particular, this show really made me realize like, wow, this is really special to me. I mean, I'm, I, I was so nervous to even just talk to people and, just just to communicate with all these people and even say hello or even go into their house and like ask to use the bathroom. I was just so nervous and this just this nervous wreck all the time. But then as soon as I got up behind a microphone with a guitar in my hand, I mean, I could just like demand for people's attention and I I, and I and I didn't feel bad about it. And I I could just be myself and let everyone just watch the train wreck happen. (laughs) And uh, that's kind of what my attitude was when I was on stage. I just, uh, I told everyone to shut up and let me tune. And then everyone shut up and I, uh, and then I played the set and it, it went down really well. I mean, people were having a good time and, there are so many people that were complimenting my set and it it was it was it was an experience that I'll remember for the rest of my life just because there there's so much power behind surprising like surprising people with um with music and art. I mean it when when you can get someone who has never heard, of whatever it is you're creating or who who doesn't know your name. And that is, I mean, that's the only thing that is catching their attention is your creativity and your art. You know, it's, there's, it's just, there's no brand or anything. You're just there and you're doing what you do and everyone and, and someone is really drawn to it. That is an extremely powerful thing. And When I felt that for the first time as a musician and an artist, it really like kind of solidified that like, this is what I need to do for the rest of my life. And this is what I need to do constantly. And I, I, I just love, I I love being inspired by music and I love inspiring people with music. It's like just this great, great, thing and in that garage there was a lot of that sort of feeling of just just a part of this great time right now just this really good time where everyone's having fun and that's all there is to it so anyways that show will always live in my memory until i die it was one of the greatest shows I think I've ever been a part of. Um, and it was right off the bat when I started playing music and I'm really fortunate to have had an experience like that because it took me about, Hmm, uh, I'd say three years after that show to play another show out of town and playing shows out of town and taking your art somewhere else, is really important, I think, because you never know when those sort of, like I was saying, um, the surprise, the, the, you know, when people are just unaware of what you, you are, and the only thing you have to offer is right at that moment. You see a lot of that when you're starting out, but, um, when you're on the road, you're seeing it every day. So, I I've learned to really love going on tour and playing shows out of town, I guess, moving on along with the story um, there, uh, we stayed to watch the other bands and um, I'll remember this forever as well. I remember I was in the garage watching one of the bands and my mom, I was 16 at the moment. My my mom turned o- over to me, she was in the garage while we were watching one of the other bands, and she said, uh, do you wanna sip of my beer? <laughs> and I just remember thinking like, oh my God, I can't believe you're asking me this right now. Like I, I feel like so embarrassed and just looking around and worried that someone's gonna see me and question me drinking beer. I said yeah and I I I was so frightened and I took a sip really fast and I like like gave it right back to her. I mean I was so terrified that the cops would bust in through the door and see me drinking a beer and be like get that kid. That's the one. The the rest of the night I I might have had another sip of my mom's beer or something but I never had the guts to grab my own. And uh, we ended up going to the grocery store, kind of getting some snacks for the night. And I I remember afterwards, I think the promoter handed me like maybe 40 bucks or something. And I just remember I I wasn't even expecting to, to talk with him. And he came up and was like, here you go, man. Here's your cut. And I was like whoa i get i got 40 bucks too it took me a long time to play another show out of town but it was a great experience and i would highly encourage people to jump into whatever it is that they are creating and put it out there in the world and just see what happens because i mean there's making art is there's so many moving parts And there are so many parts that I think the artist is unaware of that happens when they're creating something. And it seems like the best people to appreciate little details are the people that you share it with, I think. I think um, if you write a certain lyric, it can be taken a different way by five different people. And even if you just show them one piece of music to five different people, and it means five different things to them, I f- I think you're you're doing a really good job there. I mean, helping all of them have something to relate to. So yeah, I guess all I'm saying is make your art. I mean, give it a give it a try. Why not? Thanks to Eric for asking me to tell this story. I'm Norman. You can check out my band, Balonly. This was the story of my solo project, Jan Francisco, which I don't really do much anymore, but every once in a while I'll come play a show and have a good time. But yeah, see you around.
5: Malab Keen, everyone. How's it going? Welcome to the Art Hour you're taking a listen to. My name is De Casillas. You may know me. I am comedian, a talk show host, the social hour, the weekly online talk show. Future mayor of Spokane. Vote for me in 2023. And you may also recognize me. I was voted the north inland northwest best comic by the people and the inlander inlander last year and then they did invite me to the party those rapscallions that's right no respect i tell you no respect uh it's good to be here guys i hope everyone's out there surviving uh the apocalypse the impending doomsday uh say goodbye to your loved ones because it's going bye-bye real quick um it's good to be here, man. Remotely, uh, thank you to Eric for inviting me on to do this. Uh, I was asked to share my first experience when I took my art public. Um, that's a weird question for me because most most stand-up comics have a very similar path to uh, comedy. Um, it usually starts with... Uh, bad parents, teenage angst, alcoholism, and then uh, they turn to their last-ditch resort of uh, expressing their catharticism uh, through pain and comedy on stage. Uh, I had all those things, but uh, I, it took me a while before I dove into the stand-up comedy, which is I'm probably most known for now, maybe? I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what I'm known for. i'm known for being a world-class pain in the kid but i don't think i can say swear words i'm not sure what i can say on this show it's odd because i'm recording this from my home studio and on my home studio i say things that would make jesus blush so (laughs) um and cry probably cry a lot. So I'm trying to walk the line and remember that this isn't my show. This is an all ages show that anyone on the radio can listening to the radio can just tune into. So in between the uh, panic scares of apocalypse like zombie warnings that our Earth is exploding at any moment, um, trying to take a listen. Uh, so my you know again most stand up comics they just kind of they start hitting they hit an open mic and they. You know, somebody tells them they're the funniest guy in the office and then they hit an open mic and they get you, you get, you get bit, you know, right away when you do stand up. Generally, most people know if they get bit by the bug and they want to keep doing it. And that's, that's kind of how it goes. Uh, my journey was slightly different because I, as my, all my uh, teachers, said throughout my scholastic career, uh, Dece marches to the beat of his own drummer. And I, uh, did that with this, with my comedy career. Also, I started in LA. My first in into comedy was 13 years ago. Now. I mean, it had to have been 2006. I would imagine. Um, I was living in long beach, California, where I'm from. Um, there was a little place called Pete's at the beach, uh, a little bar I used to go to and this guy named Steve ran an open mic there and I'd go check out the open mic all the time. Um, I was a big fan of comedy. I'd always loved comedy. I was, you know, the class clown, always the funny guy around. I, I didn't, I never knew how people ended up doing comedy. I would have always loved to, but it didn't make sense to me on how to make a living uh, from it. I mean, I remember as a child, I would pretend to go to s- fall asleep on the floor of my living room uh, until my dad passed out drunk on the sofa. And then I could just stay up all night and watch things like The Tonight Show, um, Jay Leno, maybe Johnny Carson. I might be that old. Doesn't matter. Um, you know, Saturday Night Live, uh, stand Up spotlight on VH1, which was I mean, late eighties, early nineties, hosted by Rosie O'Donnell uh, and Bobby Collins, God from the Ice House in Pasadena, and I'd watch that stuff, and that I loved comedy, but again, I didn't know how to make that a uh, you know career. So I, you know, I, I used to go watch this stand-up comedy, uh, this open mic. I mean, not even stand-up comedy; it's just open mic at uh, so just garbage local people um, throwing out you know their new material. I don't think any of these people were actual people doing comedy for a living besides the guy who ran the mic maybe. And I'd always hang out and talk to him after, you know, I mean, I went into LA and would watch shows and, you know, at the improv and the comedy store and stuff. But I, I, I would go to this local open mic is a couple blocks from my house and hang out with Steve after the guy who ran it. And he always said, I was really funny. He's like, you got to try this. You you should do, you should do this. And I "Ah, like, oh, no, it, you know, I don't know. It's not my thing. I'm not a performer. Um, at the time, I was pursuing writing. I was writing a book um, and trying to make writing a career. Well, I, I ended up doing some—he uh, ended up talking me into it. I did, I did open mics a couple times. I got into doing some improv, um, and the writing kind of took a turn where I was—I began writing doing, like, punch-up for scripts, very small things you'd never even have heard of. I mean, these things would make Sharknado look like a, you know, <laughs> look like a Christopher Nolan film, probably. But it was it was work and it was, you know, getting his writing comedy. So it was uh, that that was kind of like a, a step in the right direction. And then I ended up, you know, 2009 economy crashed. I ended up moving to Spokane and kind of started over and went back to writing and published a book. And it was kind of going that way. But eventually I just found that was, wasn't was financially viable either. So I started my talk show online, The Social Hour. You can find it every Wednesday at deececomedy.com. Shameless plug. Then I started doing improv again. And I started writing and filming sketch comedy. Um, and I started writing comedy for websites online doing content because I was looking for writing gigs and the only thing that was paying was comedy. I'm like, well, I can do that again. I'll do comedy. So I, I began that path, and then eventually the uh, Spokane Comedy Club opened up here in Spokane, and I was doing a, you know, my weekly talk show, um, and they 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 invited me to come and join the production team for a show, a monthly show. They're called the Drinking Debate, which I had. Uh, Judged at other venues before it came to the comedy club. Kind of been a small part of. And they asked me to come co-host it and produce it into a podcast. And so I started being at the comedy club, you know, all the time. And at that point, I'm like, well, if I want to be here, I should start doing comedy again regularly, stand-up comedy. And i have been writing comedy. I'd had bits. And um, so the point of that is that a lot of comics start stand-up, and they're, they're starting from zero. I started doing stand-up after I'd been doing comedy in some form or fashion at that point for, I mean, seven, eight years, if not longer. i have been doing comedy in some form or fashion. You know, again, improv, stand-up, writing, sketch comedy. And I was always writing bits that I thought would be good for stage. I just never got to the stage yet. Um, where I was doing it consistently, so when I was at the comedy club all the time, I'm like, well, I'm just going to do this, and I kind of uh, not not. <laughs> there's way better comics in Spokane than me. Uh, there's some really talented people in this town, but the the night the thing is, I kind of came and already had a lot of material. A lot of people start with very little material. I started with a lot of backlog, and that was actually one of the things that. Uh, drove me to do it, a guest who was a stand-up comic in town for a long time on my talk show. He used to come and sit in all the time. And he goes, one day after the show, he's like, hey, Dees, man, he said, like, why don't you do stand-up anymore? I know you used to. And I'm like, I don't know. I just never thought about time. I don't know. I don't really have a ton of bits. I write for stage. And he goes, you freeform an hour and a half to two hours of comedy every week on your talk show on the social hour. Like you just talk and comedy happens. He goes, "Write some of those things down. Those are bits you could use." And I started thinking about it and going back and looking at those bits and molding them with things I'd written down for stand up over the years. Um, so basically, long story short, my first time out of the gate wasn't bad. I already kind of had a, a you know, a, a set put together. I had a, you know, probably 7 to 10 minutes of Material where, you know, most people start and have about two. Um, and I kind of had about seven to ten minutes of really stage-worthy material um, and then kind of started figuring out how some material works for stage and some doesn't, you know, some stuff that's great for r- online jokes don't work for stage jokes, don't work for a talk show freeform Um and, and you start finessing it and figuring out how some of them you can, you know, kind of manage to manipulate a little to go one way or the other or multiple directions. And some you just like, yeah, well, it just doesn't work. So and a lot of people have success their first time out in stand up. I think it's kind of uh, serendipity. It's success by ignorance. They don't really know any better. They just kind of trip into being kind of disastrously good. Um and then it then it is a free fall to the bottom after that, <laughs> and a slow climb back up um you know a lot of people don't ever make that climb back up um so I was kind of lucky, like I said i just I had some experience, and i also i'm a robot, I don't have feelings, I'm dead inside, so I didn't care what people thought of me i did, I don't get nervous in general, so my feeling was. I was confident in myself, I was confident in my material, I didn't care, you know, I didn't have any like nerve endings about whether it was going to go well or not, um, and there weren't a ton of stakes, because I was already doing well in other avenues, so it was kind of just kind of, you know, it was like, all right, this could be a thing, it could be helpful, it could be a zero, it could be somewhere in between, and it ended up being the thing I focus on the most but again, kind of because that's <laughs> that's financially where it where the money went. Uh, and I am um, easily bought, it turns out. So I will follow where the money goes. Um, so, I mean, and trust me, when I say I, I had a pretty decent first showing and was able to kind of keep that momentum going for a while, I have definitely had my share of. Of bad open mics, bad paid sets um and that happens any comic who says they're not they never bomb is a bad comic. That person is not taking chances that person is not writing new material um that person is not not really working his material uh you're gonna you, you, there's comics that have been doing it for years twenty thirty years, and still have bad sets. It happens. It's part of the game. Um, and it's just kind of figuring out how to make that, make yourself better from that. Um, so that was my, that was my first time out of the gate. Uh, I guess technically first time out of the gate, uh, again, not, I don't know what my first time is. What do you say the first time is? It's not like <laughs> it's a little different. You know, I don't, I, uh, my, my comedy path was so different. I don't know what my first time is. Um, what really when it when it started but um that's my story and i'm sticking to it guys stay safe out there uh d- don't touch anyone else um and um try to live also i need toilet paper real bad um i've got lots of tinfoil and that hurts uh thanks guys love you all vote for me for mayor in 2023 i'll be running dis casillas spelled the traditional way like in the bible love you kisses
0: Hannah Pamonte is the artist-in-residence at Spokane Art School. She is currently making family-oriented at-home art video lessons for Spokane Art School. The first video will be released next week and available through her social media and website, hannahpamonte.com.
4: The first time I took my art public, well, it actually wasn't by choice. I was in high school when after a few years of persistent encouragement from my high school art teacher, Angelica wilson Vip, I finally took an art class. And here's where I had my first love, which was pastel figure work. My investment was pretty intense where I had spent hours and hours on a piece. So Angelica decided to submit my work into competitions. She was proud of what I was doing and wanted to share it with others. As a result, I was opened up to a whole new world. We went to Olympia together. I got to meet other artists, see new work. It was her confidence in me that gave me the courage to pursue art. And now I'm an artist. I teach classes, make public art projects, and I'm currently working my residency at Spokane Art School. But it all started with her. She was the beginning.
0: Well, that's it for our show. Thanks to all the people who shared their stories with us this week. And I look forward to hearing the stories that people share with us next week about the time they overcame a challenge or a setback. Stay safe, Spokane!